0: When you're running a sale in Shopify, you create coupon codes, right? That's just one more thing for your customers to deal with. What if instead you could automate price changes and promotions? That's exactly what Bold's product discount app does. It's one of my longtime favorites from Bold, and if you need to run any kind of sale, this is the app to do it. You can run sales by hand-selecting products, a collection, a vendor, a product type, or even the entire store. And when you run sales, you could schedule them to start and stop at certain times. And there's even an option to put a live countdown timer on the products on sale. So it's perfect for daily deals. Sale ends in four hours, three minutes, 21 seconds, and counting. Imagine the urgency this can create. So one of the automation features I really like is this app's ability to put sale icons and badges on sale products, then automatically tag them when it puts them on sale, and remove the tag when they're off sale. So this lets me create a clearance or deals of the day section by making a Shopify collection where the product tag equals daily deal, and then the product automatically appears and disappears from it when it's on and off sale. These sales pages are consistently one of the most visited pages on the stores that have them. So from power hour sales, daily deals, countdown timers, clearance corners, and more, just about every store can benefit from some kind of sale that this app can run. Before your next sale, grab it free for 60 days at ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines, and it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability, and it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Hello and welcome to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host Kurt Elster recording from live with my guest the fifth floor of the professional building in Skokie, Illinois. It's lovely old orchard mall. It's called cool. It's a Westfield place. I like it. They include cleaning my office in the rent and I can see on my drop cam. Sometimes, sometimes they huff my whiskey that I keep like I'm in Mad Men over here. Anyway, that was a rabbit hole. More information than you needed. Today, we are talking about scaling your Shopify store. And my guest has experience working with clients of all types and sizes in the e-commerce world. He is a kindred spirit. He's worked closely with companies that have grown from half a million dollars. That'd be pretty good. A lot of people be like, man, half a million a year revenue. I could live with that to a hundred million. Oh my gosh. And your initial reaction is, wow, I want a hundred million dollar store. Do you? do you really want a $100 million store? There are different ways to scale. The point here, the question we're asking is, what's the big difference? How do you scale your store? How do you do it? What does that mean? What does that entail? And it is not just stacking up money, you know, in Scrooge McDuck-style vaults. There are downsides to it, too. We're going to talk about both sides of the coin there. My guest is Austin Brewer, his company Brand Growth Experts helps established e-commerce companies scale up while remaining profitable. Uh, yes, that's another thing. My man Beef Brody from Tactical Baby Gear uh, bangs on about this. He goes, there's lots of super high-revenue uh, Shopify stores that may not actually make any money. That's something you need to consider when you see these huge numbers. So a little bit of skepticism. But many of the top Shopify stores in the world, Movement, Dr. Axe, Kettle & Fire, have worked with Austin to define a growth strategy, scale their advertising, and get the right team in place to get them to the next level. And he hosts the highly acclaimed e-commerce influence podcast, where I recently guested, yes, Browner, Mr. Browner, Austin Browner. I butchered his last name. Browner? Browner. Whatever. He could say it. Uh, Thank you for joining me, sir.
1: Kurt, I'm happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. How do you say your last name? Last name is Browner. Browner? Austin Browner, yep.
0: Are you sure it's not Browner?
1: I'm sure. i Agree sure. to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty years of uh, of of, of uh, discussion on the last name.
0: I'm not sure my name isn't Chris. Sometimes I'll answer the fo- I, when I answer the phone, I just go Kurt speaking, and people go, "Hey, Chris, is Kurt there?" Like, uh, "Yeah, let me go well, get him."
1: The, the funny thing is that my name is Austin, and I actually live in Austin, Texas, right now. And uh, so, pretty much every day, people are like, "Oh, Austin and Austin," very easy Austin to remember. My from name. Austin, exactly, exactly. Well,
0: you did it to yourself when you moved to Austin. You knew it. You said I could move to Austin (laughs) and I should probably change my name. But you know what? I'm just going to stick with this.
1: It's the ultimate hack. Everyone remembers my name now. It's the easiest thing to do. Just move to the city that your name is.
0: That's a personal uh, branding hack right there.
1: (laughs) It it. is. It is.
0: Okay. so number one, I heard, I introed and said that you've worked with these giant brands and you have helped them grow from half a million to 100 million. Oh, my gosh, that is many zeros. How do you do that?
1: So that is a is a really good question. I think that um, depending on where people are in their different, you know, different levels of the business, I think there's different phases of of growing a business. And when I say that, you know, I've worked with companies that have gone in that range. Um, one advantage of being somebody who's a consultant and has worked with different companies is you get to see companies in different phases, how they actually scale up and and generally like. I kind of break it down into about three different phases, right? Like the first phase is for people who are listening, if you're like doing under a million dollars or maybe under under $700,000, um, there's a very different focus you need to have than if you're up doing $10 million or $5 million. That first phase I look at and it's kind of like all your goal should just be to find a channel that works to acquire new customers, and then become an expert in that and try to ramp that up as quickly as possible. That's that's really like the main focus when you're just starting out. Whether so, it's Facebook ads, Instagram ads, YouTube, just get there and ramp it up.
0: So early on, find a channel that works for you and double down on it.
1: Double down on it. And I, I always say become an expert in that. Like you, it, early on in the business, like you wanna figure out how to acquire customers, and you personally, if you own the business, should become that expert because then, down the road, you'll be able to hire somebody and you'll be able to know that they're actually doing a good job. Um, I always recommend that. It's like, that that's very, very helpful, and that takes away some of the craziness behind hiring that goes on if you do grow.
0: I I love that idea because I, you know, I will tell new merchants, I said, yeah, please, you know, try to set it up yourself first if you think you can. Play with it. Play with Shopify. Because even if you – I said if you succeed, great. You saved yourself a bunch, of, a bunch of money. And either way, you will have an appreciation for the work. You will be able to speak the same language as the people you hire, and you will be able to much better communicate with them. So going down that road, even if you fail at it, is still a win.
1: 100%. 100%. You'll learn so much. And you know, I always I definitely would would split it up and say, you know, if you're I would not try to build the store yourself, right? Hire somebody to do that and hire somebody to design it like those technical skills, but just for the acquisition channel, if it's like if you find that you're able to to get some traction on Facebook or Instagram, then Really learn that and try to try to figure out how to do it yourself. Um, and at the same time, capture a ton of emails and start building your email list because that's gonna become super valuable for you down the road.
0: Always, everyone says that capture, start building that list at day zero because it will pay dividends in your business. It will be the lifeblood of your business. And tr- you know, we, um, when uh, clients apply to work with us for marketing efforts, for Facebook ads, One of the things we look for is, hey, have you successfully done this before? We need to see a validated product market fit. We want to see that, hey, you've figured out, um, you have found the audience, you have found the right um, offer for them before we jump in there and say, all right, let's work on this. Let's get this organized nicely, drive that uh, cost per acquisition down, and make this thing scale up and profitable. So we're on the same page. What do you think is the, what's the big difference here between... You know I see lots of Shopify stores, and not all are successful, but many want to be. What is the difference between the the Shopify brands that scale up and the ones that don't?:
1: Sure, great. That's a really good question. Uh, it's, it's always going to start with you know looking at market and, and product, right? If you have a larger market and a product that is serving a larger market that, that has the ability to scale up that's going to be the first thing. And that's something a really good question to ask yourself because if you have a niche, really niche product that can't scale up, that's okay. Uh, but don't try to scale something that's not going to be able to scale. So first and foremost, do you have a product that has a a large enough market that you can scale it up? And then where I find people having success is kind of like once you've got that channel, it's working, you're driving sales, maybe you hit around a million dollars, 700000 around that range, it it changes a little bit because you're then, what's going to happen is that acquisition channel is going to move from maybe a part-time gig into taking over pretty much the entire entire week. So let's say you're spending on Facebook and you're generating sales. Uh, As you get to like a million dollars, What's going to happen is that's going to take over your entire day. And if you're a business owner, you need to be able to, to move yourself and replicate what you're doing and replace yourself in that channel. That may be with an agency or hiring another operator. And what I was saying earlier about learning that channel, it's going to be a lot easier to find somebody who's good if you know how to do it and so you can evaluate their, uh, you know, their performance. But you need to move yourself and not allow yourself – I see a lot of people get – Kind of stuck in this position where they scale up to a certain point, and then they they can no longer do the CEO role. They are stuck in the marketing role because all they're doing is Facebook ads all the time. So you got to take yourself at whatever channel you're in that's working for you. Replace yourself and find somebody who can who you can who can make money while you're doing other things. And then at that point, you need to kind of focus in and start locking in some of the optimization. So on the email side, you need to be really diving in and working on some of your triggered emails. The emails are going to be generating repeat sales, Uh, do some more optimization stuff, maybe experiment with some other channels. But the key is you got to free yourself up to get more space to be able to optimize and start pulling different levers and continue to have the business grow without you being the bottleneck as the person who's doing customer acquisition.
0: Ah, okay. So I see the commonality here among all of these things is focus. You need to fiercely defend your focus, and instead of try saying, oh, here, we've got these these ten things, and we're going to try all of these things in a shotgun approach and see what happens. And instead, they all end up being lackluster, and you still don't yes. know which one to pick. What you should really do is take, from what I'm hearing here, and from what my experience agrees with, right? We've got some confirmation bias going. Um, is that you want to find, you know, say early. On, you want to focus on a, a couple of key things that you suspect will work, and seek to validate those ideas. And if you can validate them, then you go. All right, how do we how do we grow this, and how do we grow it without me as the business owner being involved? You need to get once something works and you understand it. Great, you're not the best person to get that off your plate. How do I get that stuff off my plate? How do I So if I let's say I'm early in my business, I just figured out, man, I got my Instagram strategy working right. I figured out Facebook ads that are profitable. Now I want to move on to the next thing and I want professionals to tackle this for me. How do I get how do I do it? How do I delegate it?
1: So that that is the the place where a lot of people get hung up. Right? And they got to find either just just for examples' sake, because it often I find these are the channels that generally people scale up on. Like you got to find somebody who can do some paid social for you, and you so got to go and talking in,
0: about traditional Facebook ads.
1: Yeah, Facebook okay. ads, Instagram ads. Um, you got to you got to find somebody who either is an operator or an agency, and you got to hire them over a trial period, get them working for working with you, and guide them to get to the level of success that you have currently been generating by yourself and then allow them to take that much further. So as you transition over and you get somebody who can take over paid social or that maybe it's Google AdWords, maybe it's whatever your main channel is get somebody to take that over for you. Then your role as your business owner is going to be to take a look at the fundamentals of the business and see if there's ways to improve average order value increased lifetime value that might be rolling out more products. One big key of the uh, difference between companies that are able to scale up and ones that aren't, you got to be able to roll out other products. If you just have a one and done type purchase, it's going to be very, very hard to scale up unless you have a very high product value, right? Because there's 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 kind of a, a level of ad spend you need to be able to hit to be able to to scale up. You, know, you need to have like an average order value of but you need to be able to like spend over fifty dollars on paid social to be able to actually scale up and acquire a lot of people. So throw your role some, as a business
0: throw, throw me some example uh, KPIs, key performance indicators in here that you would use to judge let's say you were validating a client. You want to say, man, should we take them on? Is this business going to scale? Is this a good idea? There are certainly some metrics you would love to know yes. to get a look at. What is like <laughs> Give me, I know there are benchmarks in your head. Let's hear some of those.
1: Very simple. First, average order value. What is the average order value? Right? And uh, that, that's a very key one because it's going to help you determine how much you'd be able to spend on acquisition right away. So average order value, lifetime value. Those are the two keys. If you've got a subscription product, or a product that's replenishable and people you get somebody to buy one and they continue to buy you want to know what your lifetime value is so you can go and understand what your cost for acquisition what your acceptable cost per acquisition is the higher that acceptable cost per acquisition position is the better chance you're going to be able to have to kind of scale up your advertising and move to a position where you can hire a great team underneath you to uh to To support the growth of that business, those are some of the key things that I look at. Uh, you, you know, just looking at con- a little bit of of conversion rate on the on the website, but conversion rate can be totally skewed by traffic coming from cheap sources. Uh, you know, it's very easy if you just do you, like turn off all traffic and just put on retargeting traffic, your conversion rate is going to go up. And that, sometimes that can be confusing to people, so I don't I don't put as much stake in that as average order value, lifetime value, repeat purchase rate. Those are the things that I like to look at to, to figure out how successful. Also, net promoter score as well. If you have the net promoter score, uh, that's a that I- gives you a better idea of how satisfied customers are, how often they're purchasing again, and how much they're spending.
0: Break down for us what the net promoter score is.
1: Net promoter score is a really simple metric that after somebody makes a purchase, you ask a very simple question, which is, On a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you to refer this product to somebody else? And then your customer can select from 1 to 10. Uh, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest. And there's basically three buckets that people fall in. If you select 9 or 10, that would be considered a promoter, meaning somebody who will actively promote your brand to other people. I think it's 8 to 6, I believe, or 8 to 7. I can't remember exactly. It's somebody who's passive. I think it's eight to six if they select either six, seven, or eight. They're passive, meaning there's no there's going to be no word of mouth spreading of your product, but they're also not unhappy. Below six, they'd be considered a, a detractor and they will actively go out and speak against your brand or whatever you're selling. So the key is the higher the net promoter score, if you the more people who are in the promoter range, the more likely that your product is to go quote-unquote viral or be spread by a word of mouth because people are satisfied with it and they're going to be sharing it offline you know to their friend they're going to be really really excited about what you're doing and it'll the not the virality of that product was going to be higher than somebody's who got a lower net promoter score
0: and what's a good tool to determine this
1: uh there's, there's a there's a lot of products i
0: bet you have a favorite
1: if you're is is it uh, Shopify's got something called, well, there's Delighted, there's all these different tools. I like stamped.io because it's kind of an all-in-one package. You can do reviews and also ask for the net promoter score. And it will integrate with Klaviyo. So if you're using Klaviyo to send your emails, you can have triggered emails that go out to people based on their net promoter score. So if somebody's a detractor, and maybe they they give you a, a, two, a two out of 10, then you can have an automatic customer service email that goes out to those people following up with them before you ask for a review to try to figure out what happened. And if they have maybe a ten out of ten or a nine out of ten, you could follow up with a different email that asks them to refer their friends.
0: Uh that's pretty brilliant. I love that. I'm shocked I'm not doing that now. <laughs> I gotta that's a good one. It's, okay.
1: It's pretty sweet, yeah.
0: <laughs> I like that. Um so now, all right, so we have figured out we you need to you can look at your conversion rate and funnel, but it is so – and you want to have a good funnel, but it is so easily affected by traffic. The number one factor that will determine conversion rate is quality of traffic, and I think yes. that's a a point people miss. So I always have to – like, you always have to look at that number relative to itself. Like, all right, you know, if I look at the funnel in terms of, like, conversion rate, add, purchased, added to cart, those things – the actual and numbers out of context don't mean much, but relative to each other can identify bottlenecks. And that's what I'm looking for. Whereas as far as scaling the brand goes, all right, I wanna see, I'm largely concerned about what does it cost to acquire a customer? What is the value of that customer? Well, we could determine that through, the levers we could pull for that are average order value, repeat customer rate, customer lifetime value. and then on our product, okay, if we could target better with our ads with Facebook, then we can we can really dial in, and we know what that that CPA customer cost per acquisition is on our customers um, with Facebook, and uh, we know our cost of goods sold on the product, and so we know what that margin is. So if you you know, it's tough when you have slim margins. I mean, if you're selling something that is at two x cost of goods sold and you're like, oh yeah, we got a million dollar business, that's in revenue. I mean, what are you really making? You know, maybe 10, 15% profit, that's rough. And you're gonna be fielding a ton of customer support along the way that's just gonna chunk through that profit. Um, Versus if you have, you know, a product that's $50 with a Forex cost of goods sold. All right, that's actually like my dream thing, right? It's not outrageous as far as profit, but it is healthy and good, and gives us a wide margin, and fifty dollars keeps it in a like it's on the higher, it's on the highest end of impulse purchase. Like that, really is quite a, a great place to be in, and especially a product that solves a pain. That's something where I go, damn, this thing will scale all day, especially if there's some kind of moat or competitive advantage around it. Um, just speaking from experience, the and we can see that in a company like Movement, where you know it's a what what do they sell for? Like a hundred bucks for a watch? They're really yeah. they nice and you know i knowing a lot about watches i guarantee there is a healthy margin in there um and then you couple that with just like a really great brand experience and you could see where their their success at some point through vision and drive became inevitable
1: absolutely it's it's that perfect that perfect price point uh also it's it's tapping into a need that's already there like a desire that's already there people already like already like watches right and uh So there's a huge market. It's at a lower price point. That's almost impulse purchase. They're coming in with a different angle. They got a really strong competitive advantage uh, and a high enough. What I mentioned earlier about the ability to spend enough to be able to scale up your advertising. That's at a higher, high enough price point. Their average order, their average order value is high enough that they can spend enough to be able to to scale it up. If your average order value is around twenty dollars or less. You know, under even really under $30, it becomes difficult because Facebook, AdWords are expensive, and you need to figure out very quickly how to increase lifetime value to be able to acquire customers at a profit or uh, at break even and then make it up on the back end.
0: Uh, And then to recap, going backwards, you had this brilliant idea with hiring where you said, All right. The approach to hiring, you find someone who can who could do the work for you, who could take it off your plate, and then you give them a, a time frame in which it is not for them to blow your doors off and, and scale and beat what you did. You give them a time frame to get up to speed, say 60 days, to figure out just to do it as well as you did. And like yes. in my head I do, all right, if I can – if I could find someone who can do something 80% as well as me, well, then that means I could, if they're already there, I could teach them to do it 110% better than me. Um, and that's what I'm looking for, right? And then you build and grow together. But you're not – you're rarely going to find someone who could just jump in and do something from day one exceedingly better than you. So it is about setting those expectations. Um
1: yes that's so so important because when you think about how much time you've dedicated to doing this let's say you've been on the forefront and running all the ads yourself you're going to be really really good at them yes and so someone's going to come in they're going to have to learn all this pick up all the knowledge that you have and to transfer it so yeah if you can get them to exactly where you're at and what's going to happen is you will be the biggest at a certain point you will be the biggest bottleneck absolutely and so you need to, before you get to that point, and I see a lot of companies die at this point where the founder can't get past themselves as being the biggest bottleneck. Mm -hmm. So they, once you're that bottleneck, you gotta get somebody in who, yeah, they're they're doing 80% as good as you. Over a period of time, they'll ramp up. And then, the nice thing is that they're gonna spend all their time doing it. So they're gonna take your 100% and they're gonna get it to 120, 130, maybe even 200, 200, 2X what you're doing because they have more time to dedicate it. and you can. spend your time on higher leverage, other activities that support what they're doing. That's but brilliant. Old, old, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, that is the key. I think that a lot of people get stuck and they, they kind of languish in that range of under $5 million a year because they can't replace themselves and scale up. Initially, you're trying to replace the tasks you don't, that you're not good at. Then at a certain point, you're going to replace the tasks that you are good at. Ah, uh. And then that that, that's that's tough because it's like it takes a lot inside to be like oh i'm giving up this thing that i really like doing i'm really good at to get you've given up your channel then the next step after that and, and where i feel like the difference between the businesses that go really big and the ones that stick at around 10 million or so are you have to be able to give up your role at a certain point you got to hire a really quality person who'll be head of marketing whether it's a cmo uh who could spend all their time in the marketing role and start really expand and and you'll take the role will then shift for you where you're bringing in quality people and that person that you bring into the cmo role if they're really good and solid They'll then be able to expand the channels and allow you to scale up in different ways. So that might be through podcasts, maybe experimenting with YouTube, different things you haven't done in the past. And if they can find really quality people that they know through their network or they hire, you know, they see somebody who writes a really good blog and they're like, we're just going to reach out and hire that person to to do our blog. Uh, Or, you know, through affiliates, whatever it is, if you can, the the next, the the final phase is moving yourself out of the role of head of marketing and into a role where you're just out there acquiring good talent and bringing them into the business and selling more of the vision. And that's, I think, the big difference between the people who get stuck in the middle, the mid-range, the seven-figure range, and the ones who are able to really scale up and go eight figures and above.
0: So at that highest level, you say, the, the thing we're trying to attain here as a business owner is to be a, a combination biz dev, visionary, and leader, and that combo where you say, all right, I'm leading this team, I'm giving them the vision and strategy here, but I'm also you know developing our, our talent, I'm enabling them, I'm out finding other talent, and I'm just out there talking up the brand should be the, the end game where you can let... You're doing really the brains work and uh, probably in many cases, you're being your own best brand ambassador. And then the, all, of the, um, all of the hands work, we'll say, and a good chunk of the brains work behind the marketing, say 80%, is all being handled by a team, by someone else.
1: Yes. Yes. That's, that, that's the step. and you, That is the, the difference between the people who will be able to really, really scale it up and the ones who um, get stuck.
0: And this is hard, isn't it? Yes. Extremely hard. hard. Why do you think it's so hard? We made it
1: seem so easy. (laughs) Well, I'm like already
0: picking out the times where like it took me years to figure out these mindset shift breakthroughs to and like this, you know, things you're saying that I'm identifying with, but realizing it was really tough to get there. And then stuff I haven't even done yet myself that I know. I know that's where I got to go. But man, even looking at it, it sounds hard. Why is it so tough? Well,
1: I think I think big part is it is just hiring can be very difficult, right? Taking it's like your, it's your baby, right? It's one of those things. Sometimes you really enjoy the stuff that you're doing. Podcasting, for example, I, I really enjoy podcasting. I enjoy that a lot. Um, and I don't know if I, the idea of, of taking that and getting to the next level and have somebody else t- doing the podcasting on my team is, is daunting. And I, I don't even know if I would want to do that, but the that, idea see, of, that's,
0: that's a little different. Cause you're, <laughs> you would take all the pieces around a it. little different, the bo- like <laughs> yeah. booking, scheduling, show notes, yeah, all, producing, editing exactly. notes. Someone else could do that. You're the face. You're the brand ambassador. You still got to be on there. I think that fits within your vision of this is like top dog biz dev business owner. Role.
1: Yes, yes, yes. But, but even, the, even then I think like, Finding and, and that's something that I've been able to outsource out and I, at, that, at this point I'm I'm there I'm just doing the podcast and that's basically it I think it's being able to actually take a step back and realize that um, that you're not even though you can do stuff generally if you're a business owner you're going to be able to get into it really quickly and probably learn it and perform really well that you are the person who's then going to hold you back so your ability to learn things and become you know be a successful entrepreneur is also the same thing that's going to hold you back from getting to the next level i think that's the hardest part about it is is that mindset shift and and feeling comfortable having your role change entirely and this is one of the downsides i think of of scaling for certain businesses is you might not want to scale, right? You you might not want your role to to change like that. You might enjoy the fact that you are the person running the Facebook ads. That might be the business that you want to run. All right, let's and unpack that. That's totally okay. Yeah,
0: let's unpack that. There are two si- There are two things I identify in here. Is number one the way we have phrased this is this whole conversation is that this is inevitable. This is where you're going. This is what you have to do. Otherwise, you're a failure. This is not the case. It is your business, and I'm going to tell you something. Get ready to bleep it. This is there's profanity here because I want you to remember it. This is intentional. It is your business. Do what the fuck you want. All right. It is your business. Like that's you don't have a boss. You could do whatever you want with it. So if it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't feel like you, don't do it. If this feels like you, then yeah, go ahead. If this is what you want, do it. But all right, to your point, Austin, um, what are some of the there's more than one way to scale, and there are downsides to scaling. I think that's where you're going with it. Throw it at yes. me.
1: Well, I think there's definitely more than one way to do it, and I, I think of it in different ways. I think there's companies out there. You see the, the companies that are so quote-unquote sexy, the Casper, Warby Parker, Bonobos, all those companies that have mostly out of New York, have raised tons of money. You see them everywhere. There's Subway ads. They're, pod, they're on podcast ads. You see them scaling up. They're, that's exciting, but there's huge downsides to that. The big downside of that is they've raised a ton of money. When I mean, we say up-
0: raised, what we really mean is they have taken on debt, a huge they've amount taken of on debt. A lot of debt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and there are people to answer to now.
1: There are people to answer to. It's no longer your company, it's a company owned by investors, and at the, the you're you're in a position where you have to scale up if you're if you take on that much debt. And you know I was at, there was a conversation I was talking to uh, one of my business owner friends who was at a mastermind group with some people from I think it was one of the large mattress companies. And they didn't even they were in the acquisition. They didn't even they weren't tracking any of their return on ad spend because they couldn't really attribute anything. It was like well we have to spend this much. We're under the gun to spend this much. Oh god. So, they 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 have to because they have to grow. They if they don't grow, right? There's there's no chance of them either IPOing or getting an acquisition. That's the only level of success that they that, they're, that they have they have to achieve that or they can't pay back investors.
0: All right, so, so unpacking this more. Number 1, yes. when you look at a company that seems successful and you say to yourself, "Man, I wish I could be like them. I want to trade places." Guess what? You're not just trading the success. You have to trade if you want to do that, you're going to trade everything else with it. Their success, like their successes, but also their sacrifices and everything yes. that came along with it. So before the green monster strikes, remind remind yourself of that. And this works in all kinds of situations. Um, the there are there are those downsides here. I mean, what, especially with that that VC money. There's more than one way to scale. Because for me, scaling we have never. Um, Past the initial fifteen thousand dollar loan from my parents that I paid them back for when we first started, we have not, we've never taken on debt, and that is intentional. I want, for me, my vision of a successful business, a durable business, um, involved patient money, and did not, you know, I, I don't want to take on uh, debt or loans, and we haven't. We have stuck to that, but that is not everyone's vision. For other people, like that rocket ship ride, will require aggressive debt, like VC money's leverage debt, even. And that's okay if it's what if it's what you want. You just have to go in eyes open. And um, we talked about this in the pre-show. How, there's these these big brands out there, and for me, like I I really see it um, as like the the news cycle happening where when clients apply to me, apply to work with us, and they or they've got a new store build out or a new theme build out they're doing, there will be trends in like these are our. Um, our mentor stores, you know, the like two or three stores that you see where you go, I wish we were more like them, and it's they think it happened naturally, and it didn't. These are things that are often the result of PR campaigns that build cargo cults around these brands, and we had we had touched on it. Well, what are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely brands out there that have gotten the uh, the PR has <laughs> the PR has. It's it, yeah. It's made it seem that they're successful, so they become successful, which helps and, get more investment. Which helps get more investment, exactly. And mm-hmm. then it, also the downside of that is, it gets a lot of copycats because they're going to be a lot seeing. A lot of people are going to see the website, be like, oh wow, they're, they're, it seems like they're really killing it. Kurt, build us a store exactly like that. And then you've got kind of the trend going. I look at a company like Away Luggage. They raised a lot of money. They're out of New York. You see them everywhere on podcasts, advertising, Facebook, and it's just luggage. I actually you know, was, wasn't even a really big, big fan of the luggage, but the reason why they seem so successful is they've had this crazy PR organized campaign where you can't go anywhere without either an influencer writing about them with some sort of a, a paid link or PR talking about how this luggage is revolutionizing the world and millennials are now, you know, (laughs) it's, it's luggage for millennials. And so that they get a lot of traction, a lot of eyeballs on their site and people believe that they're successful. And then that shifts the entire ecosystem of how websites are built because they look at those like, Oh, well they're doing a great job and so let's build like their site. And it's, it's, it's not usually – we we don't really know how they're doing. Chances are they're not profitable. Warby Parker uh, – Warby Parker has been around since 2010. They're still not profitable. It's There's a lot of these companies that we look at. They're they're not profitable after five, ten years, and that's Whereas okay. Because if you
0: were a small business – like truly, like a, a sole proprietorship kind of thing, and you weren't profitable after five years, the IRS would just flat out tell you you now file as a hobby business because this isn't a big boy business; it's a lifestyle. And but <laughs> when these big companies do it, we aspire to be like them because we don't know that's what's going on.
1: Yes. <laughs> well, you can, yeah, and you can look it up. You go look at look go to Crunchbase, look up Casper, look up Bonobos. Bonobos had kind of an acqui exit that. You know, they raised about as much, they raised, I think 140 million sold for like 300 million, not a huge successful exit by any means. Um, and the team is still in place there at, uh, at, uh, Walmart. I think it's Walmart at bottom. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's very hard to tell the level of success from the outside when, um, all you see is the PR, and you see the advertising, and you hear it everywhere. You don't have any idea what the bottom line looks like for those businesses. And they're playing a different game fundamentally than an independent store owner. And yes, that's okay. Yeah, but
0: yeah it's fine. Gotta be, you, but you have to have eyes open. And when you're not exactly familiar with that, like – and what's fine – I'll say that Silicon Valley VC startup style um, world and life cycle – it is weird. It's got like there's its 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 own culture. Um I don't like here's one if people don't know this in I forgot the name of it, but maybe you know it Austin. In uh um in I believe it's Palo Alto or near Palo Alto, there's like this little diner where that's near a park that happens to have a ton of venture capitalists office and that's where a lot of these big supposedly where these these big VC and acquisition deals go down is in what's essentially a diner in Palo Alto. Um, for big money, and it 's kind of cool like you go there and there 's you know there 'll always be exotic cars parked there. Um, we have family in uh, in San Jose, so it, the stuff it, like it 's just in the news it is just part of their culture what 's interesting is New York used to be all um, you know the huge ad agencies over on the other coast, and now it 's this incredible uh e commerce hub that 's growing where the same thing in this like v c universe is happening, and there 's a lot of big e commerce brands. That are often like intrinsically linked to partially invested by um, ad agencies and they kind of, they're using them as a essentially like an ongoing case study research lab slash investment there's all the giant brands get into all kinds of weird shenanigans that us mere mortals are not always aware of
1: <laughs> it's very <laughs> it's very interesting and yeah I think that that Back to your question about like what's the difference between brands that scale up and ones that don't? A lot of it has to do with market, product, how much money that they've raised. Uh, those are all questions to ask. Uh, whether or not you know lifetime, whether or not they have a subscription aspect of the business, that's a bit, that's a big part of whether or not a, a business is built to scale. Um, and and yeah, just the vision of the founder. What what does success look like for that founder? And That's, are the they... question, ask ask, That's a question to ask yourself. That's a question to ask yourself.
0: You need to have your why. You need to know why am I doing this? What's my what's my end game? What are the rules? You, know, you, it's your business. you set up you write the rule book and then you play to that rule book.
1: Exactly. I love I love uh listening to, you know, Dean Jackson is somebody who I've listened to for a long time, learned a lot from Dean Jackson. He's got a really great kind of list. He says, you know, I know I'm being successful, and it's his list, and he's got like ten things on it. One of them is that he can wake up every day and ask, what would I, what would I like to do today? He says, I can live anywhere I'd like to, anywhere I choose. His passive revenue exceeds his lifestyle needs. He's working on projects he's excited about and doing his best work. Those are the type of questions. Like if you can ask yourself, um, and make a list of things that you know that you're doing, that you're successful when you are doing, that is a, a great place to start. And, um. just to decide and have a clear vision of what success looks like for you or what scaling looks like for you. Is it, is it growth so that you can take time off? Is it growth so you can grow and sell the business? There's lots of different ways to think about it. And, uh, it, it's, it's exciting stuff. It's, we're in a great time to be in e-commerce. Uh, it's a great time to, to grow a business online. It's a lot of fun. There's incredible opportunity. And I feel like being clear with your vision of what that opportunity and success looks like to you is so, so important.
0: Austin. I love it. This is, that's a great spot to end. It could not have said it better myself. Where could people go to learn more about you?
1: Sure. You can go to a uh, brand That's my website. So we help. We help brands scale up profitably, help them do scaling advertising, hire the right people. You can get some coaching from me. Uh, that's the best place to do it. And, uh, Go check it out or come listen to Kurt's podcast on the e-commerce influence podcast. Also, he's he's over there as well.
0: I have linked, uh, the, uh, brand growth experts, e-commerce influence and Dean Jackson, wonderful resource, uh, you suggested there. I've linked all of those in the show notes. So check it out. And Austin, thank you. This has been phenomenal.
1: Kurt, it's been a lot of fun. I really thank you for having me on the show, man. And, uh, and, uh, have a great one. Really great to talk with you.
0: Before we go, I wanted to tell you about the one Shopify theme I've used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed, but that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable feature pack theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates for all of your content. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code Podcast20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, out of the sandbox will refund it for you. So to check it out now, go to ethercycle.com turbo and use code podcast20 at checkout. It's ethercycle.com turbo. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC.